Welcome to season two of the Minority League. A podcast looking at minorities in hockey. Sharing their stories and histories. And asking why aren't there more minorities in hockey. I'm Anar Virji. And I'm Minashi Mukherjee. And this is the Minority League. Hi, everyone. This episode, we're talking to Mari Harita of the NHL's newest team, the Seattle Kraken. The Kraken had their inaugural season in 2021 to 2022, and they've set up some great community initiatives already, from learn to skate programs to talking about mental health. So we were really excited to talk to Mari. She's Senior Vice President of Social Impact and Government Relations for the Seattle Kraken. And she's also the Executive Director of the One Roof Foundation, the affiliated public nonprofit that works with the Kraken. Since it's multiple roles, we asked her to explain what they all are. Well, as, as you heard, my, my job title doesn't exactly, you know, roll off the tongue there. It's um, social impact, government relations, and then the foundation. And what we mean by social impact, that includes all, all of our DEI work, uh, and then the community outreach piece that really looks more at systems change and, 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 and broad impact um, versus uh, the strictly fan-focused community outreach, which is also hugely, hugely important, but lives a little bit... Um, between us and the marketing department. So so we are approaching our philanthropy and our, our outreach work, I think maybe a little different than some sports teams. We're spending a lot of time uh, building partnerships within nonprofit communities, within neighborhoods and regions that hockey, you know, is, is a new concept too. Um, and trying to center those voices and center the communities that we're looking to serve in, in developing a lot of work that we do. Uh, so then in addition to the DEI work, um, government relations, you know, a lot of it over, overlaps with policy efforts. And um, my background is as a lawyer, so I think that was part of why this seemed to, to work well with our department. Uh, and then the last one uh, foundation, as I mentioned, is the 501c3 public charity that represents both the team and the arena. Um, I have a nonprofit background. My last job was actually as a CEO of a, of a nonprofit. So, um, that's one of the reasons that that's, that's within my purview as well. What made you decide, you said that you were the CEO of a nonprofit before you um, joined the Kraken. What made you decide to switch jobs and to start working in, in the hockey world? Yeah, well, I think as you get to know our organization, you'll, you'll keep hearing a, a similar um, theme here. And we have a very visionary and unique CEO who, um, has done a lot of the hiring in a little bit of a non-traditional way, perhaps. And so I don't have a hockey background. I didn't know much about the team coming here, but in my job as a CEO of a nonprofit, you know, your job is to meet with any C-suite for-profit leader who might want to give you money at some point, basically. So so someone said, oh, you need to meet Tom Lewicki. He's the new CEO of the hockey team that's coming to town. I'm like, what? You know, this is in 2018. And so somebody set up a meeting for Todd and me, and I sat down and, and the makeshift office and there was three people there and I'm thinking there's no way I'm asking this guy for money there's like three people here the team hasn't even been approved as a franchise by the league so we just chatted for about an hour about the work that he had done at different sports teams because community had always been super important to him and I talked about the work that I was doing at the nonprofit I was at at the time which was an arts focused nonprofit and I was describing how one of the things I had done because it was like a 50 year old organization was try to transition it from what it had been, you know, founded uh, to support really large Western Canada traditional arts organizations, um, 
where our board really wasn't reflective of the, of, of the community as it had been evolving to really transition that into an organization that was more inclusive, more representative and reflected our community and the art sector as it had been changing. And so we had a great conversation and I felt like I'd never hear from them again. And they called me back the following week and, and offered me a job. So that's that's how I, I came here and I like doing what? And and uh, and they said, well, building up the social impact, the community work and philanthropy. And um, but I, I think it, I wasn't pitching myself at all because I it never occurred to me, it never occurred to me that I would have a job offer, not knowing the position existed, but I believe that Todd is so committed to uh, inclusion and representation and diversity and community that what I said resonated with what he was trying to do with his organization. And so that's that's how I came to be here. And were you a hockey fan growing up? No, no, I wasn't. I, you know, I was a soccer kid and swimmer and, and I wasn't part of the, there's a huge hockey culture here that is a little bit below the radar if you're not part of it, you know, because we, we haven't had a team. Um, but as evidenced by our fan base and how busy we are at our, our community ice rinks, there's clearly this huge need and desire uh, for um, an NHL team. But I was not, that wasn't part of my upbringing. So it's a steep learning curve. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> definitely on the games, like the, it looks like it sells out very frequently that it's very, it's way more crowded than some of the other teams games that we've seen so it's 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 definitely caught on it's doing well I mean after one year pretty good start yeah it's been really fun uh, the city and the fans have been so welcoming we acknowledge that when you're a, a new team it's like there's a lot of fans that come along with that you know it's something new and fun um, and and that moving forward we really have to earn that like we, we have no I don't think false sense of yeah we're just gonna have fans forever and you know, don't have to work hard. I think, I think every day we're like, okay, this went well, this didn't go well, this is what we need to do better. Um, really trying to earn that, that fan support. You mentioned the community ice rings, which I think is something really cool. Like there aren't a lot of other teams that have that. And yeah. or at least like in the city, um, like there are teams that have it, have them out in the suburbs, which are not necessarily as accessible for a lot of people. And um, can you talk a bit about those and then also what other sorts of things um, the Kraken are doing to work within the Seattle community? For sure. Uh, and yeah, you mentioned some, a great point that a lot of facilities are out in the suburbs and our ownership and leadership intentionally decided to keep it in Seattle, actually bring the first ice to Seattle because again, Todd, is so focused on engaging with community. It's also on a light rail track, which opened pretty much the same, same time that, that our facility did, which is great because it allows uh, people who might not otherwise be able to easily get to us to easily and affordably get to us. Um, so we have three rinks and from day one, um, it was, it's sort of two things going on. One is, is uh, figuring out how to support the existing junior hockey community and hockey community. And so we were, I think we've had over a million people come through already, which is, I, I think pretty amazing since we didn't exist a year ago. And then from my perspective, so the foundation, one of the three pillars we have, and we're a really, we're equity, racial equity centered foundation. So one of the three pillars we have is increasing access to hockey and to sports um, and really life opportunities for historically minoritized and marginalized youth and families. And we do that in several different ways. Part of it is making sure people 
can can come to us, whether it's through games or up to the ice room. And part of it is going out to the communities, realizing that just because we showed up doesn't mean everyone's going to be like, yay, we're going to, you know, run up there when we, we've never had affiliation with the hockey team. But up at the, um, the community ice plates in particular, a couple of things the foundation is doing is we are providing financial assistance um, to the learn to play and learn to skate programs um, so that there's no financial barrier to, to participation. So we started that last year. Uh, you know, we're just, everything was for the first time. So we're like, oh, how much money do you think we're going to raise? To how many people do you think are going to do this? But last year we supported, I think, over 200 youth. Um, we contributed over $120,000, I think, uh, for that program. Of that, over 50% were girls, which is awesome. And I want to say over 85% were youth of color, which is great. Uh, this year, I think we're going to double that number. We're also translating our financial assistance um, materials into five different languages, realizing that you know one of the barriers to participation is if your parents don't speak or read English, doesn't they're not going to get this. So we're we're working with um, a local uh, refugee women's alliance organization. We ask them, you know, you tell us what languages we should translate this into. So we've, we've done that. Uh, we're also, in addition to that's broad financial assistance, and then we created this sort of pilot test program because again, everything was new with this Refugee Women's Alliance group that has three different preschool sites across Seattle. One's really close to our um, facility and then two are south, um, pretty far south. But in South Seattle has historically been much, much more diverse, but increasingly the north end, not the middle, but the north end is also became where we are is actually increasingly diverse. So what we do through this program and one of the foundation pays for it, we raise money and pay for it, is we pay for the busing of 60, 60 preschool kids to come from these three facilities to our ice rink every Wednesday at 10. And then they get laced up and, and the instructors take them out in the ice for 45 minutes. And these kids, when they first got there, you know, they're just like, oh my God, what's going on? It was terrifying. And then within two or three times, they're just, you know, getting their shoes on and skates on and then out there and laughing and so excited. Um, and their teachers and the parents are saying, this is one of the best experiences they've had. This is what they look forward to every week. They're, you know, learning new words like puck and <laughs> hockey stick. And, and then we had a graduation for them after the 32nd week. And these kids are just like all over the ring. And, um, we're going to do that next year. So we're going to pay for that next year. And then in addition to that, we are any kid who graduated from that program, we're saying, you know, if you want, please join our financial aid program. So they kind of get priority. And of the 60, 25 kids and families are taking the, the Learn to uh, Play program. Um, and we're super excited about that because I think we all know that, you know, hockey historically has not been the most diverse and representative. And also when you go to kids who are 12 and have never seen themselves in the sport, it's too late. Not for all of them, but you know, we've, we've talked to middle school students. We brought the black hockey history track to a, a school in, in South Seattle and it was great. And they, they appreciated learning about it, but they're like, yeah, this isn't really my sport. You know, I play basketball and hockey isn't really for me. But with these young kids who, you know, three or five, four years old, our, our facility is their home. Like they feel so comfortable there. They will never feel excluded because from, you know, as early as they can remember, they'll remember being part of this. Our hope is that it kind of changes, you know, long-term just changes how people feel about their place in, in the sport. 
And then we do like we underwrite a bunch of field trips for Title I schools and, and different uh, nonprofits that are in that target demographic that we're trying to reach. So that's what we do like up there to try to, you know, bring community there. And then we're also going out into different neighborhoods or sort of selecting specific neighborhoods to either do environmental justice work or uh, with one neighborhood, we're going to work with the county to build a multi-core expansion as part of the park redevelopment. And so we got a grant to buy the stanchions from Compan and hire a local artist from that neighborhood to come up with a Kraken Skyway inspired art, art theme. So it's not like us coming down and branding it and saying, we are here, you know, I was like, well, who are you? And so it's, it's really trying to bring the community along um, and get their feedback and input as we do that. And then use that as an opportunity to really engage the community, uplift the community and, and obviously introduce them to the game. That is wonderful. I like all of those things sound amazing. Yeah, those sound like hugely successful programs. And um, the fact that you are translating the materials into different languages so that parents um, can have access to them and like information about the programs, I think really helps expand the sport and bring it to people who might not know about these opportunities. Anar, we've done a bunch of podcasts at this point, and um, a lot of people have talked to us about the barriers to minorities accessing or even knowing about hockey. Yeah, parents and players and coaches have all talked about how expensive the sport is. And these sorts of initiatives that the Kraken are doing in the community, where they provide transportation, equipment, and coaching, um, can really change who gets to play the game at all levels. What a great idea to create literature in different languages to promote their youth programs. It seems like the Kraken are truly efforting to diversify their outreach. These efforts to bring in different types of cultures um, to the hockey community. Can you talk about why that's important? Because I think that actually some people question why is it important to put all this money and effort into these sorts of programs? Yeah, (laughs) thank you. Yeah, well, I mean, even if even if I didn't personally believe that is just a moral imperative and the right thing to do, like let's say I didn't believe that, it's still it's 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 like it's the business case. It's the sustainability of the sport and the industry and the business. And it's not just hockey, it's any sport and any company. There is no company that I can think of right now that isn't looking at this and talking about this, that isn't studying the demographics, that isn't aware that in whatever however many years, you know, if we're gonna be a majority. Uh, minority, majority non-white country. And that uh, if you don't reflect the consumer base, if you don't appeal to the consumer base, they're not going to be your consumers. And so, <laughs> um, you know, that's that's not like a novel idea on our part at all. That's just, that's, that's just basic consumer uh, awareness. Um, so that's part of it. It's just the future fan base uh, needs to expand to sustain the sport. Additionally, I think, um, and, and you know, it's not, there's so many aspects to, to having a diverse hockey culture. And, and it starts with the, organ- I think the organization itself. Like you can't just have a bunch of programs that are certainly, if your own organization has not embraced DEI as, as, a, as a tenant, as a priority. Um, and we have, you know, really thanks to our, to our CEO and, and our ownership also is very, very supportive of this. And that's why we have, I'm sure you know, a, a relatively speaking for the NHL team's diverse uh, uh, front office with 30% people of color and 42% women. I'm not sure they, it changes every time someone comes and goes, but you know, more so than many people would think. And at all levels, it's not like all, you know, it's all levels of the organization. Um, 
And so the reason that's important, I think also, and there's many case studies on this um, in Forbes, or, uh, that diverse workforces, inclusive cultures are more successful. They have greater retention, they are more innovative, and there's greater financial return. So even if I didn't think this was the right thing to do, I would still do it because we would still do it because it's necessary for the success of our organization and it's necessary for the success of the sport. Um, and then on top of it, it just happens to also be like the right thing to do. And I think in this time where there's a lot of divisiveness where people are always finding reasons to see their differences versus what they have in common. You know, sports is one of those magical forces that can done right, bring everybody together in the best way and to sort of leave everything else, you know, at, at the gate. And uh, our society needs that right now. Like our society needs our sports teams to, to bring people together. And that means including and highlighting all voices and making sure that all people feel heard and respected. So I don't know if I, I there's, there's a lot of reasons why it's important. <laughs> no, I, I, that, was a, that was a great explanation. I mean, like I, of course, like we both, Minashi and I believe in that. And that's why we're doing this podcast. But yeah. you know, yeah. we do like talk to people who are like, why does it matter if minorities mm-hmm. play hockey? And why does it matter that there aren't minor, more minority fans? Or like, you know, people do ask us those sorts of things. And it's always good to like to hear about why organizations want to want to diversify but I I think all of us who do this work often have that same kind of like are you kidding me and like you're pushing against a lot of headwinds but I am also reminded every day that if it were easy I would need to be here like if it were easy like you are making a difference because you are pushing the norm and it's it's not fun a lot and it's exhausting and you have to obviously take care of yourself first but you're obviously you know, you're, you're, you're there for a reason. But it's inspiring to hear that an organization like yours is like, you know, that that's, that's a, that's something that the CEO of the Kraken is very, you know, feels responsible to implement. That's nice to hear. So you've talked to us a little bit about what the Kraken is doing, um, you know, in the Seattle area and, and there, but do you have any thoughts on what the NHL, maybe if they, you know, might implement some of the programs you guys are doing or what could they be doing that's more, you know, to uh, further these types of uh, initiatives? Yeah, well, it's funny because when I first got here, like knowing very little about hockey, all my friends were like, you're doing what? Like, they're, they're, you know, as, as a person of color, they would say, well, hockey's, you know, not super inclusive or representative. And, but, it, you know, I saw it as an opportunity. And then I learned that the NHL had hired Kim Davis, who I'm sure you know very, very well. And I was reading some of the things she was saying, what they were writing, and they're working with Brookings Institute to look at demographics and their whole increased focus on this. And I thought, well, this is awesome because a lot of what they were um, starting to talk about and focus on were things that, that we were wanting to do. I think it's easier in a way when you're a new organization and you don't have to undo stuff because you know we're new. And so you get to set your own culture. You get to learn from our own mistakes and, and hear from other people as well. Um, I think it's a lot more challenging in any institution, any great institution that sort of has been doing a certain thing for a very long time. And then to go, okay, now we're going to really mix it up. So um, I, I applaud Kim and the work that she's doing. Uh, it's definitely not easy. I feel that because they are 
prioritizing this in a way that I guess historically perhaps they have not, uh, that will make a big difference uh, with how all the clubs respond and, and move forward. Because I think when it, if it's always coming from external, something external to the league, it's easier to say, well, that's really not what we do. But when it's a directive from the league or the league saying, this is something we all have to focus on. I'm curious also, like what, so we've talked about the community initiatives and the corporate culture. What type of training is being done with the players themselves? Or is there anything that's being done? Yeah, last year was hard because COVID protocol. So we didn't get to do much at all with the players in any capacity and neither did the community. And that was hard on everybody. It was hard on the players who, you know, came from a bunch of different teams to a city they didn't know and weren't able to interact with anyone. So um, moving forward, I know that we're doing some things that uh, some of which come out of the league. Um, we are going to be implementing, we just hired a DEI specialist. So the first totally dedicated person to this role and she reports to me and she's awesome and has great training and expertise in this space um and so she's putting together a more formal uh strategy and plan for the year because the last couple of years we did I, I would say we did quite a bit but it was all you know volunteer run it was all by people of color who had other jobs that that was part of their description and so you know I think we realized if this I mean, you were also priority. launching like a startup team so yeah, you had other yeah. things going on yeah 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 this is a priority to our leadership and, and you know there is a recognition that because this is a priority we need to formalize the structure that's why it's now formally under me and hire someone who can really focus on this 100 to work closely with our um, our people and culture team and so I think moving forward, we will be doing more. But since this last year, being the first year with COVID, we really haven't done a ton of training on the player side. We certainly had conversations. There was a group that had a really cool conversation, I thought, with JT and um, Everett. You know, and just saying, what's your, this, this is kind of a cool video conversation of what's your background working with players of, you know, BIPOC players and um, raising the issue in a, I thought, a really I thought, nice way because it was something that someone pointed this out the other day that said, for people who don't think about this all the time because they don't have to, that conversation was probably very relatable because you have these white players saying, yeah, you know, I really didn't think much about it until X, Y, or Z, or this is what I know. And that's something that's um, a lot of people can probably relate to. So Mari mentioned a few things there. Let's start with JT Brown and Everett Fitzhugh, who became the NHL's first all-Black broadcasting duo in NHL history back in February. That's when they called the Kraken's road game against the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, they've been breaking barriers for a while. In August 2020, Everett became the NHL's first full-time Black broadcaster. In, in June 2021, JT became the first Black in-game team analyst for an NHL team. Um, I love watching the Kraken games. The, the team is really fun. Their social media is really engaging. And I mean, really, though, their broadcast team is is really awesome. Everett and JT are super energetic. They're really um, knowledgeable and they're fun to listen to. Yeah, I agree. They um, just have a really good rapport. And I think that makes watching the games um, even more enjoyable. 
Mari also mentioned videos the Kraken are doing. So JT and Everett have talked a lot about how they're leaders in hockey. And Everett also interviewed the Kraken's intersectionality consultant, Chanel Keenan, for their YouTube channel about the work that she's done for the team to make sure that the team and arena were accessible. Yeah, we interviewed Chanel last year for this podcast, actually. She was one of our first guests. She left the Kraken earlier this year, and now is looking for her next big thing. And I'm really hoping another team or consultancy hires her because she's done a lot to broaden hockey's audience. She did a lot to open my eyes, too, to the challenges that um, different people face when going to an arena. So the Kraken also did something else last season that had an impact on me. They put out a really thoughtful video of four players, Riley Sheehan, Chris Streaker, Hayden Flurry, and Brandon Tanev talking about mental health. And all four of them opened up about times they've faced mental health challenges. And I thought that was pretty remarkable. And I really loved that the players were so honest. Um, I'm a news producer and I've lived through some pretty traumatic events. I've covered some pretty traumatic events like hurricanes and mass shootings and big protests. And I've tried to make taking care of both my and my colleagues' mental health a bigger part of my job. So to see them talking about mental health in such a public way um, really impressed me and um, made me feel seen. Yeah, I I agree. It's terrific. Um, The different initiatives that they have going on uh, with the Seattle Kraken. I encourage everybody, if you're not following them on social media, you should. They do some really cool and cute things. Um, Turning it to something a little less serious, I want to just shout out to any of those Kraken broadcasters or players. Anytime you guys, JT, Everett, Tanev, Grubauer, whoever, want to come speak to the Minority League, we are totally ready for you. The Kraken are also doing something that many Canadian teams have started doing before games. It's a land acknowledgement. Mari talked about how that came about and what it involves. There, there's a special history and meaning in our region with respect to the Coast Salish people and tribes who are here. And so, I mean, I'm sure, you know, like it seems of late, many organizations have a land acknowledgement statement. Everyone's doing one these days. But we um, started this conversation a couple of years ago, you know, just like everything was new. And one of our employees reached out to me. She said, what are we doing about this? And I'm like, that's a great question. And I am entirely not qualified to answer that question. So we engaged some uh, Native American consultants on this who then helped us work with the local Coast Salish tribes to have a conversation about what we were trying to do to get their feedback on a statement. And we had a gathering. We'd already had one gathering just to introduce ourselves to the, the Native community here. But, you know, we wanted to share this out to them. And, and it's it's a complicated issue because there's a lot there's a lot of history there and there's a lot of different opinions of what a statement should or should not say. And we want to be really clear that, you know, we are not doing this to make ourselves look good. And if the tribes didn't want us to do one, then we wouldn't. Like, it's, it's not a publicity. It's really not a publicity stunt. And, you know, the feedback is now it's, it's an important issue to raise um, and draw attention to. But it's also... A starting point, like a statement with nothing more, is just a statement, and and I think that's is this a good reminder? You know, I think uh, these days when different issues come up, many are quick to say and post, and, and I'm not saying that's good or bad, but it's important at least to consider what else are you doing behind that statement, um, and and so those are a lot of the kind of thoughts and conversations we have, and I wouldn't say we have the perfect answer, but it is it is part of our approach, I think, in doing our work. It's not just about 
okay, we've got this statement, short of the game, like, you know, and then what? So, sorry, just to be clear, is there a land acknowledgement before Kraken Games? I haven't actually been to one, so there is, okay. Yeah, I, we, we call it a land of people's acknowledgement. It was um, a video recording of a bunch of employees. So we came up with the words and we ran it by various tribes and we kind of, you know, told them first. And then we recorded it. Um, Todd wants it to be more compelling. So we're redoing it this, this year. It's going to be a little different, but it will be, it, it, it should be nice. It's not like the, the what do they call them? The voice of God, whatever the, it's not the PA read where you see some places where it's so impersonal. It's not that, I, I hope. <laughs> um, because last week was actually Kraken employees saying, you know, Lucille Kraken acknowledged we are on the land of the Coast Salish people. And I would flip to different people on our staff talking about it. Um, because we wanted to be you know, personalized, like we get it and not just have it some read that nobody hears. Yeah. I think that's a really thoughtful way to go about it, that the intentionality that you talked about and talking to the tribes and whether or not they wanted it at all and talking about it as a starting point and not something that's an end to itself. I think that's um, really great. I uh, just, I, I went to a Connects game and I that was the first time that I had seen a land acknowledgement mm -hmm. at a sporting event and I was really touched by that and like it, it was it was great to see and also yes I understood that it was a, a starting point it's nice yeah. to see that acknowledgement um, of indigenous peoples and um, native tribes and I've I've, I'm a journalist in my day job. I've done a lot okay. of stories on Native American um, nations oh. and tribes. And yeah, and um, in Washington state too. Yeah. So it's, okay. yeah, yeah, just it's, um, it's always nice to also to remind people that they're still there. Like it's, yes. it's incredible how yes. many Americans do not know that Native Americans are still around. You were, um, that's what we heard. Like, hey, we're still here. And that's what we call the land and people's acknowledgement. It's like, yes, we acknowledge this. This is Coast Salish land, but we also acknowledge that people are here. And that's, I think, I don't remember. I should still have it memorized since I worked on it for eight months. But, you know, talked about they continue to contribute to our vibrant, you know, thriving society or something like that. Just acknowledging, hey, yeah. Yeah, you're so right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like the diversity amongst the tribes, even in the yeah. Washington State um, area, yeah. is incredible. So, um, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I'm glad that you yeah. you brought that up. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I, I likewise love the intentionality with which that was put together. It's not just, I, I, I yeah, I love. There's always there seems to be always like foresight and forethought into like what's going to happen next instead of let's just do this right now to make us look good. That's I love that. So Menashe, I'm finding that the more people we speak to for the podcast, the more I'm finding that my favorite NHL teams are the ones with great players that also have thoughtful community programs and good outreach. I'm just so impressed by what the Kraken have accomplished in just one full season so far. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Anar. I mean, we've we've talked to a lot of community uh, leaders in this space, and it's it's been really inspiring to learn about their work and see what they're doing. But speaking of great community outreach. We have not mentioned Coach Neil Henderson or Sidney Crosby once in this episode. So now we have. <laughs> Got to keep that track record. <laughs> in our next episode, we talk to Alexandria Briggs-Blake from the Tucker Road Ducks Hockey in Maryland. She's on the Washington Capitals Black Hockey Committee, and she was also a finalist for the Willie O'Ree Community Hero Award. 
Thanks for spending an entire hockey period with us. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to rate us wherever you listen. Subscribe to the Minority League podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Visit us on theminorityleague.com and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram at TMLpod. This episode was edited by Joe Alvaro and produced by Anar Virji and Manashi Mukherjee. 